Michael and I uh, share the teaching responsibilities, and for the last few weeks when I've spoken, I've spoken about things that relate to the future, uh, what happens after we die. We've spoken to the resurrection, uh, the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, the last two weeks, we've had to deal with the biblical subject of hell and what is said about it. And this morning, we get to transition to the subject of heaven, our eternal home. And we're going to look this morning at simply what heaven is like, what Scripture tells us heaven is like uh, to draw us to this place that is simply called in Scripture our home. And then next week we'll look at who will be there based on what Scripture says. Uh, just to, uh, as we get into this subject, um, one aspect of appreciation of the Amish is that as I read about your culture, your history, and I had a chance to visit uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, uh, even though that's not your home, but it's a popular Amish community that many that know nothing of the Amish get to visit. Um, as anyone that visits, visits an Amish community, you're uh, struck by the profound sense of disengagement from things that are part of a world that is never called home. Um, we are traveling through this temporary life, and we ought to treat this world as such, and the Amish do very well at not getting too caught up in things that ultimately will not matter. We have a lot to learn from the Amish. In fact, the world did in 2006 in a very painful way. Uh, we'll reference it more in the lesson to come, but in 2006 in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, the Amish community was struck with the sheer evil that Uvalde, Texas was struck with just last week. And the Amish community, though, in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, provided the greatest example of forgiveness outside, I believe, what our own Savior has shown to a world that did not know the Amish community. And we are blessed by the example of forgiveness. The Amish embody what it means to be humble. They embody what it means to have a community. They embody what it means to forgive. As I was thinking, singing these songs, what does our modern culture have to offer them? They have a lot to offer us. I don't think we have anything. Because our modern culture is going downhill. And we need to look back, and we need to look in other places for the qualities and the character that our God honors. Because there's nothing I see around us, but I see a group of people here today that respect some of the greatest things that Scripture honors is true. So hopefully we can learn from you as we get to talk more at uh, the end of our assembly as we simply get to share together a meal. But this morning, heaven, our eternal home, the song that we sang says, we read of a place that's called heaven, sweet home of the happy and free. Whether you like to travel or you like to stay home, you will be happy in heaven. That is the picture that we are given in Scripture. This eternal home that our Father is seeking to take us to is captured wonderfully in hymns that are written both in the past and in the present. I want to read you the words of a hymn written a hundred years ago. And these words are words that I grew up singing uh, that as I listened to different YouTube videos uh, captured me just as well today uh, as it did when I was a little boy. And then we'll look at a modern song that I just discovered last night. But this first hymn, notice how it captures heaven. The hymn is entitled, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. 
we read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. These truths in God's word he has given, how beautiful heaven must be. In heaven, no drooping nor pining. No wishing for elsewhere to be. God's light is forever there shining. How beautiful heaven must be. Pure waters of life there are flowing. And all who drink may be free. Rare jewels of splendor are glowing. How beautiful heaven must be. The angels so sweetly are singing. Up there by the beautiful sea. The song of redemption is ringing. How beautiful heaven must be. Then the refrain, how beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. Then a song written just two years ago and published this last year. Simply entitled, Hymn of Heaven. Written by a famous artist by the name of Phil Wickham. You can find his videos on YouTube or his songs in other places. And he captures it just as beautifully. Go ahead and do the next one. Oh, it's right there, Nathaniel. You were there all along. He simply wrote these words. A relative, a young man, he says, How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. To look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again, holy, holy is the Lord. And every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, in the end, we'll see that it was worth it when He returns to wipe away our tears. Oh, there will be a day when all will bow before Him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. And on that day we join the resurrection. And stand beside the heroes of the faith. With one voice a thousand generations sing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And on that day we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith. With one voice a thousand generations sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Forever He shall reign. So let it be today we shout the hymn of heaven. With angels and the saints we raise a mighty roar. Glory to our God who gave us life beyond the grave. Holy is the Lord. So let it be today we shout the hymn of heaven. With angels and the saints, we raise a mighty roar. 
Glory to our God who gave us life beyond the grave. Holy is the Lord. Holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy is the Lord. What a beautiful hymn. That so biblically and powerfully captures today in the mind of a younger heart what was caught in the mind of an older heart hundred years ago. The same wonder and captivation by this eternal home that we're now going to look at. What I first want to see about heaven this morning is it's a place beyond anything we know. A place beyond anything we know. I want to look first at Romans chapter 8, then we'll look at this text that you see up on the screen of 2 Corinthians. But I want to see in Romans chapter 8 how that the Apostle Paul, when he was describing heaven and the future things God has planned for us, it's almost as if they're indescribable. It's almost if the future glory heaven is indescribable. Here's how Paul begins, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, then we'll look at 2 Corinthians 4. And consider this thought about how that heaven is a place beyond anything we know. Verse 18, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We'll just pause here and consider what we're ready. First he says, verse 18, I consider that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, Paul's saying, what you're going through now cannot compare to what God will give to you in the future. And Paul's essentially saying, it is worth it. But he doesn't go into great detail to describe it. He's simply saying, it is worth it, this glory that shall be revealed. He talks about in this present time, though, the creation struggles, it groans. In other words, this world is not the way God intended it. And we see that every day on the news and in the lives around us. But then he says this world eagerly awaits its adoption, and us in particular eagerly awaits the redemption of our bodies. But yet little detail is given to that. Scripture keeps pointing us to something far greater, something far more grand than anything we can imagine. So when we visit these texts on heaven, that is the picture we get. Even though we wonder at times what we're going to look like, and we'll be a little older, we'll be younger, what are we going to wear, what are we going to do? Scripture just keeps pointing us, it's going to be on anything that we can even comprehend, and that's why probably Scripture spends very little time trying to compare it to anything we have now because nothing compares to what awaits us in the future. Look how this is caught now in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Once again, the Apostle Paul writes, uh, by the Spirit's leading, verse 16, he writes, chapter 4, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Chapter 5 now, verse 1. For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Verse 3. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Verse 6, therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive what is due them for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. I want to see for just a moment the things that are highlighted by the Apostle Paul in this 2 Corinthian text. First of all, concerning heaven, it's where we were intended to live. God has always intended His creation to live with Him. And in the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what you had. You had God walking with Adam and Eve but all the sun as sin entered the world through Adam and eventually Eve's sin, there is this great separation where God could not be with His people as He always intended. The closeness that He always wanted, that He planned for, was simply shattered by the sin of the first examples of His creation and continues to be shattered by people by choices they make that causes a separation. But what we see in Scripture, though, is heaven is a reunification in the closest of ways between God and the people He created because He's restoring back what He always wanted. That is, His people to dwell directly with Him. So heaven is always pictured as an eternal house, a dwelling place with God where God wants us to be and always intended for us to be. But our sin caused a separation. Ancient hymn writers captured this when they said, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Other hymns said, here we are but straying pilgrims. Here the path is often dimmed. It is a previous generation that understood we are to be discontented with this world, where our modern generation seems to be pretty much happy with the way things are, especially in this country. But heaven is our place to live. Notice here in this text, it's always called a dwelling or a house. Verse uh, 2, it's our heavenly dwelling. 
Verse 4, our heavenly dwelling. Uh, Verse 8, we are at home with the Lord. Heaven is home. In Scripture, it's a place to live. Uh, Disengage from thoughts about we're just floating up in the clouds, all wearing white robes, kind of looking at each other, trying to figure out what to do. That is not the picture of heaven in Scripture. In Scripture, it's home. And probably those who are homeless can only truly appreciate that. I've had students, I have one currently, that they have no fixed dwelling. They go from one shelter to another. All they want, as I talk to them, is a house. (laughs) They want a place to call their own. And God tells us that is what heaven is. This is not our home. We might live in houses, but this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. If you ever struggled with where to live or this great family I met, you've moved around a lot and you're not sure where home is because work has taken you all over the place, this is where you will live and where you will stay. It is eternal in nature. No signs of age. There's no end. In our world, everything has an end. Graduation was this week for my students and a lot of them were in tears because high school and school itself, which has been their life, was now coming to an end and like birds fleeing the nest. And all of a sudden, they realize that on the day that they're to graduate. And I said, Mr. Mulligan, I'm sad. And tears were in her eyes right in front of me. Because what she knew and was familiar with was ending. Our jobs end, places where we live end. Nice experiences end. Go to Disneyland, you spend two hours to ride a ride that ends in two minutes. Everything ends in this life. Even the most exciting, fun things end. But heaven in Scripture is eternal. It's called our eternal home. There will be no ending. We'll also experience immortality. The ravages of age and time, injury, things that limit our human life on this earth will all evaporate. And the best version of our body, however God considers that, will be our body in heaven as the resurrection is taught on 1 Corinthians 15. And we will live there forever with God. We can't even fathom that. Because every day we see time pushing us forward. An aging beginning. I read recently the most common experience among those who are aging and near death that they talk about it is the fact that they've never felt old as far as the way they thought, but their body felt old all the time. But in their mind, they wanted to go on. But in heaven, we will realize immortality. God intended for us to live forever. Adam and Eve would have lived forever in the garden with him, but sin brought about physical death as well as spiritual death. But in heaven, all of that is erased. And heaven will be home as it was meant to be. And it will be home in the best of the sense of the word. When some think of home, they think of sadness because their home broke up. 
or family members that lived at home with them died or otherwise prematurely taken. There's some, even some of my students who live without sufficient food at home. There's some that are abused by the very people that promised to take care of them. Their home is full of pain, but in heaven, home will be free of all the hurt that some homes have now. And it will be home with God forever. And there's nothing to compare it to. It's simply our heavenly dwelling, a place beyond anything we know. Here's the second grand truth about heaven in Scripture. It is a place absent of the trouble of this life. I want to go to Revelation chapter 21. We live in a sin-cursed world. Unless we were off the planet last week, we had to deal with what Michael alluded to in his prayer. The pain of one community in Texas and the unspeakable evil that they experience that's yet part of this pattern of just one type of evil in a world full of evil. And it comes in the worst scenarios. I said to my wife the other day that it seems like going to church or going to school is the most dangerous place you can go to at times because of what some think of to do to come in and attack vulnerable people. Almost every school shooting I've read about has been while I've been at school. I go to my computer at lunchtime and CNN has in bold font shooting at such and such a place. Nineteen children killed. This is trouble our Heavenly Father never wanted to happen, but in giving us this free will, it's been a painful experience for us and even worse for Him. 2006 in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, an outsider came into the community to a schoolhouse. Shot dead 10 girls. Your community knows the evil that every community knows. And as we try to deal with this envy or the evil we see on television, can you imagine the evil that goes unnoticed, that happens in private or never gets attention? This is not what our God intended. But as mankind pursued evil, this is what we have. But God is going to remove this one day, and I want to see the text that speak to this. In the Revelation, as God's people are going through a great persecution under the Roman Empire, the Lord reveals to the Apostle John visions of what heaven will be like when the struggle is over and the evil is ended. And I want to look at verse 1 of chapter 21. And here, John writes, 
based on what he's shown. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Let's pause here. Notice here the reunification of God with His people. In heaven, God will be with His people just as He intends. But look what He will do with them, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I make everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake, of burning sulfur, this is the second death. In no uncertain terms, our God reveals to John exactly what this heavenly existence will be like. First, he says, I will be there with them, and they will be with me. We know what John says in the epistle of John, for God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, and there will be no darkness in heaven both literally and figuratively. What is described here in this text is the things that will be missing. Pain, sorrow, death, night, sin, and evil. Skip to verse 23 now. Verse 23 says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates be ever shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healings of the nation, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. 
they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We'll focus more next week on the grand things that will be true in this 22nd chapter. But notice what will be absent. First of all, pain. Physical pain and emotional pain. There's some that are born with physical afflictions that they live with all their life. They have to deal with both physically and emotionally. That will be gone. Those who have suffered the pain of accidents or attacks, all that pain will be gone. Some live with invisible pain. They live with the jagged scars of someone hurting them in their life, or anxiety, worry of some kind. All that will be gone, all physical and emotional pain gone. He will wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no funerals. There will be no more memorial services. We're going to see some heartache this week as they begin to bury these children. You're going to see it. You're going to see grieving unlike you've ever seen before. When it fully hits home, that they're not going to see their children. In heaven, our Father is going to take that away. No more death, which God never wanted, never planned for. It says there will be no more night. In ancient times, when night fell, that's when bad things happened. That's when fear would envelop. There was no artificial light to make things look better than what they were, and evil would intrude at night. Scripture says there will be no more night. There will be no more evil because all those who cause evil will be gone. No hurting, no killing, no lying, no betrayal. All these things will be absent. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, it will be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Again, we live in a world where God has had to allow things He never intended. Because he gave us free will. Our challenge is to be a blessing in a world that's cursed by our own sin. But in heaven, all these things will be absent. Finally this morning, heaven is a place of inheritance, rest, and reward. Our final text will be 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, and then 5 verse 10. I want to see heaven how God wants us to see it. Not from simply what is absent, but what it is for us as God sees it. Peter writes in verse 3 of the first chapter, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 13, Therefore, with the minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that is brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Heaven is presented as a place of inheritance. 
Back to the text we've looked at, Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus says, Come in, all you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Heaven is an inheritance. God is saving up this place for us. Perhaps your family or your parents died and there was no inheritance left for you. Some are written out, some are just never included for unexplained reasons. Some families are simply unable to give an inheritance. But our Heavenly Father says, I've got something saved for you. And I have something prepared for you since the creation of the world. Our Father has something waiting for us. It is the Father of all good gifts. Every good and perfect gift, James says, comes from the Father in heaven. Can you imagine, even if you've been around good gift givers all your life, the kind of gift the heavenly Father will give as he calls it an inheritance. Secondly, heaven is called rest. Rest from heartbreak, extreme work, stress, concerns. And above all those things, heaven is going to be rest from this awful struggle against sin where we've lost more battles than we want to think about. But yet we will win the war through the grace and the power of Jesus Christ because His sacrifice covers those sins. What God tells us is that we're going to have to, we will be able to stop struggling. There will be no temptation we know things that Satan dangles before our eyes any longer or weaknesses that we're prone to give into. There will simply be rest. Revelation 14, verse 13 says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord. They will rest from their labor. That is their struggle against sin. And finally, heaven is a reward. Heaven is a reward for choosing well. Our Father knows all the attractions of this earth. He knows the power of Satan. He knows what Satan puts before us. Just as Jesus knows every weakness, Satan knows every weakness and he exploits them all day long. But when we've chosen to commit our lives to Christ and to put our faith and hope in Him instead of our own goodness or our own religious system, God honors that. And heaven is the ultimate realization of God saying to us, you chose the right thing. You chose me. And you chose my son. And you chose the path that I set out. And you did not deter from that. It's a reward for turning your back on evil. It's a reward for staying with Jesus when you could have abandoned him. Do not underestimate how valuable your choice to serve Him is. Because the majority have chosen the opposite. God will reward your choice. Therefore, He says, set your mind on things that are above. As our life continues on, may we continue to sing these great hymns of hope, of security, of blessing, of inheritance. Because this is where our life is headed. Our life is headed to our eternal home 
where God is going to bless us with things beyond His ability for our minds to, to capture for our minds uh, and fully comprehend. But He's simply telling us in these places, it is worth it and to stay the course. This morning as we leave our assembly and we go back into this sin-struck world, and who knows what evil will be on television tomorrow. Get ready for it. It will be there. Just know that one day all this ends. and We will see those who fought the battle, who put their trust in Christ and no one else, We'll see each other. and We'll be there forever and eternity. We may have lived in different places. and Our faith may have looked different at times, but we will be there in heaven for our eternal home where He will wipe away every tear. May nothing deter us. May nothing distract us and take us to another place. And may that day come soon. Lord, come quickly. Because this world is not my home. There's things we enjoyed. Make no mistake about it. But I'm ready to go. I don't want to be here any longer after last week. I will be, and I'm going to make the best of it with our spiritual family and what God's called me to do. But after last week, that's about it. There's nothing here that's making me want to exchange anything for heaven. May that be our mindset. We're just passing through. And Lord, come quickly. May he return in our lifetime. And how blessed we will be. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. We'll stand together and sing the song to encourage us to stay on this path, to give our lives in obedience to God, to redirect our lives if needed, put our faith and trust in him. God calls us to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins as we believe and we put our trust in him as we're old enough to make that kind of decision. And that is the place of safety and security. That's the place where God does His work. And if we stay with Him, all these things will be ours.